Greetings to Grace Point Church family, as well as any guests with us here today. Uh, it is uh, June 14th, 2020, and this is our Sunday message out of the letter to the Colossian believers. Uh, this is Gary Nock, teaching elder at Grace Point Church, and we are thankful and uh, glad you are with us here today. I was uh, reading an article about the Amazon River, not the Amazon company, but the Amazon River, and uh, I did not realize that the Amazon River is the largest river in the world. Uh, this article told me that the mouth of the river is 90 miles across, and there's enough water to exceed the combi combined flow of the Yangtze, Mississippi, and Nile rivers combined. Uh, so much water comes out of the Amazon that its current can be detected 200 miles out into the Atlantic Ocean. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, one of the ironies of ancient uh, seagoing sea navigation was that sailors in times of old died for lack of water. If they got caught in the windless waters of the uh, South Atlantic, uh, they were adrift and helpless and they ran out of water and so they would be dying of thirst. And sometimes other ships would pass them by coming out of uh, South America and they were the ones who knew the area and they would come alongside and they would call out, what is your problem? And uh, these sailors that were uh, dying of thirst would, would exclaim, can you spare us some water? Our sailors are dying of thirst. And the other ship would come out, would cry out to them, just lower your buckets. You're in the mouth of the mighty Amazon River. Well, of course, the irony and tragedy of that today is uh, all around us. Jesus Christ is the living water, the fountain of living water. Uh, all around us, and uh, we who believe in him are the ones who are his ambassadors, his representatives. And so there are people all around us who do not realize that living waters is readily available. Well, today we return to the letter to the Colossian believers. Uh, we've been in this uh, letter for some time, and we're still in chapter one. There is much in this letter that written by the Apostle Paul. In about 60, 62 AD, he was imprisoned in Rome, and he is writing to this church at Colossae, uh, the city of Colossae, some 1,000 miles east of Rome, over in Asia Minor in the Lycus River Valley. And of course, the, later on, we'll see that the Apostle Paul had not visited Colossae. He did not know them personally, although uh, his co-worker and friend Epaphras, who was from Colossae and probably the one who planted this church, is reporting to Paul while Paul was in prison in Rome. Today we are going to continue our study uh, through chapter 1. We're up to verse 24 uh, this week, 24 through the end of the chapter, 29. And I'm going to read that for us, but I'll begin in verse 23. Remember, the Apostle Paul is detailed uh, the supremacy of Jesus Christ with seven incomparable descriptions of Christ. And beginning in verse uh, 15, that Jesus is the image. In other words, he is the visible uh, representation. He is the visible God of the invisible God. And he is the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he has rank, complete primacy and uh, supremacy of rank. He created all things. He is the head of the church, the body. In other words, he is the source as well as the authority of the church. Firstborn from the dead, he is the one that overcame the, the, the grave and the, and the death, physical death, and he was coming to have first place in everything. The sixth item is the fullness in verse 19. He has the fullness of God, the Father that dwells in him. So in other words, a statement that Jesus is God. And then verse 20, the seventh uh, 
incomparable uh, description is that he is reconciling all things to himself. And how does he do that? Making peace with all things through his blood on the cross. And so by his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ has given us reconciliation. Remember, in verses 21 through 23, we talked about uh, being connected to Jesus Christ, connected to Christ. And first he describes our past condition. We were estranged, we were hostile, we were sinners by nature. And then he describes in verse 22 our current position. He physically died for us. He is presenting us before a righteous, holy Father. And we are called holy, blameless, and without reproach or without any accusation that will stick. Then remember, Paul writes elsewhere in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in verse 23, our great hope, our walk of faith, and our hope in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Before we begin uh, verse 24 and on, and I'll read that for us in a moment, but let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day of life and praise you for your goodness to us. We praise you for your sufficiency, for your provision in all things that we are and have. I thank you for your word today, and we pray that each one would be uh, diligent to uh, pay attention to what you have for them out of this passage of Scripture. And Lord, that as you apply your truth to our lives, that we would be receptive, submitted, and yielded to what you have for us. We pray for our country. We pray in these very troublesome times that we as believers in Jesus Christ would be peacemakers, that we would be a people who winsomely share the only hope that we really have, and that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word today in our own language. We thank you for those uh, whom we support as missionaries around the world, and we pray for them for encouragement and perseverance this day also. And for each one who is listening to this message, Lord, may we all grow together in Christ, for it's in his powerful and precious name we pray, amen and amen. Well, we are thankful again you are here. If you take your copy of Scripture, and uh, you'll be able to follow along as I read for us, beginning in verse 23 of chapter 1 of the letter to the Colossian church. Verse 23, Since indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on the behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from ages past and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints." to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Well, the Apostle Paul is continuing uh, in his arguments here as he combats false teaching <coughs> in uh, the Colossian church. And, of course, uh, false teaching, heresy, is a virus that penetrates uh, churches and can lead to great confusion. And the Apostle Paul is answering that uh, as he develops his argument in the book of Colossians. 
Remember, he is uh, accentuating the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is the prime one. The false teachers would dethrone Jesus Christ and place him in a lesser category. And we see that all around us today, also in world religions and in uh, those things. Uh, remember verses 21 and 23, it tells us how we are connected to Christ in our current position through the gospel. Verses 24 through 27, we are compelled by Christ, and the Apostle Paul uses himself as a model or an example of that uh, being compelled, that compelling figure of Jesus Christ. Then verses 28 and 29, which are Paul's purpose statement in his life, we are completed in Christ. So connected, compelled, and completed. In verses 24, excuse me, <coughs> verse 24, uh, we have our hope in the midst of our circumstances. And boy, we need to be reminded of this. In the midst of our circumstances, uh, someone has said that uh, the coronavirus may confine us, but coronavirus does not define us. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, remember the book of Colossians is written to those who have believed in Jesus for everlasting life. They're referred to, and we are referred to as saints and faithful brethren, those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so there's hope in our circumstances. In verse 24, he goes on to say, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Remember, Paul was imprisoned when he wrote this, and he's rejoicing in his sufferings on the sake of these believers whom he had never met personally, face to face. And in his flesh, he says, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. Here, that's why we call the church the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul uses that picture there in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, there's some confusion about this verse, but first of all, we need to talk about the sufferings that the Apostle Paul is going through. He starts, and it's not surprising that Paul starts uh, talking about suffering for the sake of the gospel since he knew what suffering was up close and personal. Again, he was in prison, and uh, he was rejoicing in the midst of his suffering on the behalf of others because his suffering allowed him to identify with Jesus Christ, identify with Jesus Christ. And so he's rejoicing in that. And this goes back to that whole idea where, clear back in verse 20, where one of those seven identifiers of Jesus Christ is that he's the reconciler. He is the one who has made peace between sinners and God. And Jesus Christ has done that. Done that. He has taken our place. He has suffered on our behalf. In verse 24, the Apostle Paul, in talking about his sufferings, he uses a Greek word that we get our word pathos from. And you think of the pathos of our current society, of our nation, of a worldwide pandemic, of racial divides, of, of injustice that pervades the news 24-7. And uh, we may be a little bit remotely removed from that, from larger urban areas, and yet there is pathos in that. And he goes on to talk about the fact that uh, he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, and that can be a confusing statement. He was speaking not of salvation, but of service. Not of salvation, but of, of service. Christ's sufferings alone pro, uh, produce and procures salvation. 1 Peter 1.11, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. 
Uh, 1 Peter 5, 1, Therefore I exalt, ex exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory to be revealed. Paul's attitude here was the fact that Jesus took the blows meant for me, I'll take the blows meant for him. Uh, suffering is part of the will of God for the Christian life. I've recognized as I look back over my history personally as a believer in Jesus Christ that it's during the times of adversity and suffering that I have grown the most and the quickest. When life is at ease and when things are going easy, it's easy to become self-dependent and forget who is our sufficiency. And believers, it's our privilege to suffer with Christ. 2 Timothy 3.11 Persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch. Here's Paul talking. What persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord rescued me. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. Peter writes, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. So there's many references to the fact that as believers in Jesus Christ, we suffer. But when he says there in verse 24, uh, in Christ's afflictions, there's a different word that is used there. Uh, it's not the word pathos for suffering, but it's the word thalipsis, uh, which is translated or can be understood as distress or pressure or trouble. And that word is never used in the New Testament of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul had plenty of suffering and distress, but it refers to trials in this life, not to the pains of death. Uh, Christ does continue to suffer. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but Christ does continue to suffer when Christians suffer for him. He asked Saul, later Paul, uh, if you remember in Acts, on the Damascus Road, why do you persecute me? Remember Saul, uh, who became Paul, was uh, persecuting believers in Jesus Christ, even to the point of murdering them, martyring them. And, but yet Jesus took it personally. He said, why do you persecute me? Acts 9.4. Since the church is the body of Christ, think about that. It, he, he is affected when it is affected. For the sake of, the, the, of Christ's body, Paul willingly suffered. He willingly suffered. And so verse 24 uh, Paul is using himself as this example, that he was made a minister. Notice that at the end of uh, verse uh, 23, he said, I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul didn't choose this, by the way. God laid it upon him and appointed him. Later on in verse 25, it says, of this church, I was made a minister or a servant. And again, it's not something that uh, people just adopt for themselves, but it's Jesus Christ's work in our midst. So hope in Christ alone in verses 25 through 27, as we continue with this being compelled by Christ, Paul is compelled for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a God-ordained uh, servant of the truth of the word of God in its fullness. And so in verse 25, he said, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship of, of, from God bestowed upon me for your benefit that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Notice also that Paul is simply a steward. A steward is one who manages the possessions of another person. And we are all essentially stewards of what God has blessed us with physically and materially. 
and also spiritually. God has blessed us with our current situation in a sense that we are to steward it well. We are to steward because God has bestowed upon us for that benefit that we might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God or the proclamation of the Word of God. And oftentimes we think the proclamation of the gospel always only occurs on Sunday morning and behind a pulpit or in a podcast or whatever online, but yet each one of us has a testimony and the opportunities within our context to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends, with our family, with those that we have contact with. Then in verse 26, he goes on to explain this, preaching the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. Now, you know, a, a, a mystery, a mystery here in Scripture, it's not Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes or any of that. The term really means secret. It was something that was kept, kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the church. Uh, and what has been disclosed is the fact that God has chosen to include Gentiles in his blessing of salvation. That was uh, talked about in the Old Testament in Amos, and also Luke 2 refers back to it. The mystery is not that Gentiles would be saved, but that they could be fellow heirs in Ephesians 3, 6 on the same level with Jewish people, that there's no partition between them. This is racial reconciliation. And boy, does our nation need this desperately to understand that in God's eyes, we are one as believers in Jesus Christ, fellow heirs. The Old Testament Gentiles who happened to believe and become part of Judaism, they were still considered lower than an ethnically pure Jewish person. But this special union that Paul talks about in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, it was non-existent before Christ died, and the Spirit descended to baptize all believers into the body of Christ, this one unity. That's why the church is not a national organism or organization. It is transnational. It is transethnic. It is translinguistic. It is all over the world. We have brothers and sisters in Christ in every area of the world. And we know some from China, from Hong Kong, Macau. I know some in Indonesia. We know you as you travel and as you we have talked to missionaries, we have brothers and sisters in Christ from all sorts of nations, ethnic groups, different languages, and that is the mystery of the church. And that is wonderful and a blessing in that. So this mystery that was hidden has now been revealed to us as saints. And so we have hope in Christ alone. And then verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. His sovereign mercy in his eternal purpose has revealed these glorious riches. It could be translated blazing splendor revealed among the Gentiles, among his church, this special revelation. And those who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, Paul tells us in Ephesians. We were without hope and without God, and we've been given a glorious hope, which is Christ in us, because of these glorious riches. Believers are indwelt by Christ, the hope of glory. We are in Christ. That is a vital relationship. 
If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and you think back to when you were not a believer, perhaps you were only four or five years old, or maybe like myself, you were in your late 20s before you believed in Jesus for everlasting life. And the fact is that Christ is in us. We have this organic relationship and we are no longer who we used to be because Christ has saved us and because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And because of Christ, we as believers look forward to sharing his glory, which is described for us later in the book of Colossians, especially in Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, 1 Peter, on and on. And so we come to Paul's purpose statement, which is verses 28 through 29. And this is Paul is proclaiming his purpose statement. This is his compelling purpose and the completion in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. We proclaim him. Of course, the we there is plural. He's probably referring clear back to verse 1 where he talks about Timothy, and then later on he talks about Epaphras in verse 7. Uh, remember, Paul is in a prison cell, and uh, Timothy has got some access to him, so does Epaphras. And so he says, we, there in verse 28, proclaim him. In other words, we, we let the, everybody around us know, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. In other words, everybody they talked to, the Apostle Paul was admonishing them. It leads us to wholeness, by the way, when people admonish me. It may be painful at the moment, but if it's for my good and for my spiritual growth, I am warned from God's word. We are warned from God's word, and that's admonishment. And we are taught, which is the truths of God's word applied to our lives. And so that we will be presented complete in Christ. Complete means uh, perfect, that doesn't mean sinless, but it means full-grown or mature. This is talking about maturity. This is talking here about spiritual growth. And just like I said last week, is uh, we want our children to grow up to maturity. We rejoice in that. Uh, there's nothing uh, that, that, that we like better than to see our children grow up and mature in life and be able to handle life, and especially when they grow in Christ, that we become complete in Christ. And here in verse 29, he says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which magnificently works within me, or mightily works within me. It says he labors here, and that uh, labor is, is like hard, wearisome toil. If you've ever labored in a hard, wearisome work environment, and you go home exhausted, physically drained, this is the idea of that word. He took great labor in that, developing maturity in believers. And then the struggling there, we get the word agony from that word. It's agonizing like an athlete in a, in, in a competitive arena. And you think of someone in a race or in an athletic competition who gives their all. So at the end of that race, they just fall down on the track after they cross the finish line because they are agonizing for that. And that's the idea Paul had. And notice where the power for that comes from. It's not something that you and I work up in our own flesh that we're going to bring people to maturity. We're going to make them mature Christians in Christ. It says, according to his power, and he's referring back to Christ in verse 28, which mightily works within me. Wow, what a promise that is. Christ is mightily working in your life. Christ is never 
faithless in doing that. He is always faithful in working in our lives. His Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in Corinthians, the moment you believed in Christ for salvation, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He resides in your life. He guides you. He's your comforter. He's your teacher. He leads us in the truth. Uh, and so the power that resides within us, Peter talks about that power in First Peter about we have the power to live lives of godliness each day. And we need to have our eyes open to what God's doing and walk in his will and in his way. And so when we're agonizing, when we're struggling, as we help people mature in the faith, do not grow weary in doing good. God is at work in our midst, in our lives. And even though we are physically separated at this moment in history, it doesn't mean that we cease to function as believers in Jesus Christ. And the power for the struggle comes from Jesus Christ. Remember uh, the ancient sailors, the sailors of old in the South Atlantic who were uh, just dying of thirst, and all they had to do was lower their buckets and take up uh, the, the, the pure water flow from the Amazon out of the sea. Just lower your buckets, they would say. And that's what God wants. The, God wants us to do that. Uh, the irony and the tragedy around us today is we see social upheaval and violence and death and, and trouble is that there is a fountain of living water. Jesus Christ is the living water right here and now. And people can draw from him. And of course, we may be the bucket that helps them get that uh, their thirst quenched with Jesus Christ. Because God has placed us here, and we have a purpose and a, and a, and a function uh, to share the good news with those around us. So God's blessing upon you as you continue your week, as you continue day by day, as God continues to care for us, and he gives our sufficiency in all things according to his mighty power. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage. And pray as we contemplate it, as we reflect upon this passage and reread it again, that you would just open up uh, our eyes to the fact of how you are applying it to each one of our lives as just special gifts that you've wrapped up in your word and that we open them and as we open your word and then you apply it and we can rejoice in your faithfulness for it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name I pray, amen and amen. Well, may the God of peace uh, be very real in your life in these days. God bless.